Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Vision, setting a biblical foundation for the coming year. Here's Pastor Nick. After a a hard day of work. Now listen, anybody can sit in a chair. Only a sovereign sits on a throne. A judge sits on a throne. Those with authority and dominion, they sit on thrones. And friends, there is a throne in heaven. And that means that there is a seat of authority and power, which all of the universe and every person, including us, has to answer to. Isaiah was discouraged about what was going on in his country. Maybe you are today as well. Maybe you can relate to that. But God wanted Isaiah to see this, that in spite of what was going on in his country, in spite of what was happening down on earth, he was still on his throne. And Isaiah could rest in the knowledge of that. Maybe you need to be reminded of that today. Where is God in the midst of everything that's going on in the world right now? You know where he is? He is on his throne. He is ruling. He is sovereign. He is in control. And he is working out his plans. And because that's true, you can have absolute confidence as you face this life and the circumstances and the situations that it brings. Not only was God on his throne, But look, it says that he was high and lifted up. He was in an exalted position above every angel, above every creature, above everything and everyone. God was exalted. He was high and lifted up. And his greatness was on display by the fact that it says the train of his robe filled the temple. Now listen, I don't own any clothes that have a long train that drags behind them. I noticed as you were walking in today, I didn't see anybody walking in with a long train behind your clothes, especially on a a snowy, muddy day like today. First of all, because probably none of us are, are all that important. But the other reason is because it's just highly impractical, isn't it, right? Like you're not going to go like work in a construction site with a, with a long train dragging behind your clothes. Really the only place in which we see trains on, on people's clothes in our modern society is in weddings, right? So a bride might have a, a wedding dress with a long train that drags 10, 15, maybe 20 feet behind her. And there'll be two or three people who are dedicated. Their entire job at the wedding is to tend to the, the bride's train of her dress. And you know what that means? If you have a train on your clothes, you know what it means? You know what it signifies? It means that you are a person of special attention. You are the object of special attention. The bride's not out there doing work in that dress, right? With a long train on it. She's not going to go mow the lawn in that dress. She's not going to chop wood or go to the construction site. You wouldn't wear a dress like that to, to do any kind of laborious work. No, wearing a long train like that, it signifies that you are the person of special attention. Other people serve you. You're a person of honor and dignity. And so that's what this says about God. He's so great. Look at how big his robe is. It fills the entire temple. And it says in verse 2, Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. These are angels who are around the throne of God. The word seraphim literally means burning ones. And they have six wings. 
Notice this, though. With their six wings, four of their six wings are used for what? To cover their face and to cover their feet. That's a sign of humility and reverence. They cover their eyes as if to say, God is so glorious, so majestic that I can't even look upon him. I have to cover my face. But you know what's interesting? The Bible says that when we go to heaven, it says that we will look upon the Lord with unveiled eyes. Do you know what that means? Think about that. Angels can't even do that. The angels cover their eyes, even though they're in the presence of the Lord. But one day, you and I will get to do something in heaven that even the angels can't do. We will look upon the Lord with unveiled eyes and see his glory. Well, in verse 3, it says that one angel called to the other angel and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. In Hebrew, like in other ancient languages, repetition signifies intensity. In other words, where we would say holy, holier, holiest, they say holy, 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 right? In other words, the one angel is saying to the other, the Lord, he is the holiest of all. No one compares to him. The other angel says back in response, yes, he's the holiest of all. They're speaking to each other about the Lord in the presence of God. They're declaring God's glorious nature to each other in the presence of the Lord, over and over again. And as these angels are praising God, look at what happens in verse 4. It says, The foundations of the thresholds shook, and the house was filled with smoke. Now understand, guys, this isn't a, you know, a house made of, of timber, of two-by-fours and plywood like the houses we live in. This is a temple made of humongous giant stones. And it says that the power of these voices was so great that it caused this stone temple to shake at the voice. And notice, whose voice is it? Is it the voice of the Lord? No. It's the voice of the seraph and the angels praising the Lord. That's what causes the, the house to shake. Now, doesn't that challenge you? Doesn't it make you want to say, I, I want to praise the Lord maybe more powerfully than I do? You know, I wonder if, if my praise could even move a feather, right? And these guys, they're praising us, shaking the house. Imagine if our praises in this place were so powerful that they shook this building. And here's what's crazy. You know what? These angels, they're praising the Lord, but you know what? You and me, we have more to be thankful for than these angels ever will be. We have more to praise God for than these angels ever could. You know why? God has done more for you than he has done for any of these angels. God didn't send his son. God didn't come to the world. Jesus didn't go to the cross to redeem angels. He came and did all these things for you. You have even more reason to be thankful. You have even more reason to praise the Lord than these angels do or ever will. But the reason these angels praise God in the way that they do is because they can clearly see who he is. It's clear to them who God is. And because they can see him, they cannot help but praise him powerfully and continually. And that's the first part of our sentence for this week, our takeaway truth, which is this. Worship is what we do in response to seeing who God is. It's what we do in response to seeing who God is. Listen, how do we see who God is? How do we, in 2021, how do we see God? The Bible literally says no one has ever seen God properly or physically. So how do we see God? Well, there are two ways in which we see God. We see God in his word is both ways, but we see him, number one, in his written word, in his revelation, like we talked about last week, of himself in his word, the Bible. That's God's revelation, his written word of himself. And we see God also through 
the incarnate Word of God, the embodied Word of God, Jesus, the Word of God in flesh, right, with feet on, walking around on our, on our earth. It says this, no one has ever seen God, but Jesus, the Word of God, has made him known. You see, not only is the Bible called the Word of God, but in the Bible, Jesus is also called the Word of God. Why? Well, what does that mean? God's Word is God's revelation, unveiling. It's his revelation of himself to us. So if you want to see who God is, if you want to know who God is, if you want to see what God has done, the way to do it is, is twofold. Studying the scriptures and becoming a student of Jesus. When you open up your Bible, when we open up our Bibles here, our goal, the objective, the, the reason we do it, what we're aiming for is not to just increase our head knowledge and memorize more facts, right? So we can win at Bible trivia or know more things than other people know. No, the goal, the aim of reading the Bible is to see God so that we can then respond appropriately. In other words, worship is not a means to an end. Worship is the end in itself. Worship is not a pathway that leads you somewhere. Uh, rather, other things are the pathway that leads you to worship. Worship is the destination, not the pathway. In other words, reading the Bible, for example, is a means to an end. Or studying the scriptures is meant to lead us somewhere, and the somewhere it leads us to is worship. Worship, in other words, is the destination. Notice that the way these angels are worshiping is by calling out to each other. They're in the presence of God, but they're speaking to each other, and they're telling each other about God's glory. Listen, this is an important aspect of worshiping God together with other believers. As we sing these songs, as we speak these truths, it's not only that we're speaking them, it's that we're hearing other people's voices say them. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we're told this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Listen, an important part of worshiping together, and why, by the way, we emphasize here at Whitefields that if you can, and we can do so safely and responsibly, we want to gather in person Right? Here's why. Because as we do it, we're hearing each other's voices declaring the greatness of God. And that encourages our souls. It encourages us to also worship him. It's also a reason why we do community groups. We want you to have a place where you can meet with other believers and speak to each other and hear each other talking about God's glory and his goodness and his grace. But you know what? Worship is not only singing songs. But in the Bible... We see throughout history that people have worshipped God in song and with music and with singing. When the, when the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea, in the book of Exodus there, when God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea and set them free, what did they do? They wrote a song and they taught that song to everybody. And then they performed the song and they all sang it together. Right? They memorized the song. They learned the song, set it to music. There were tambourines. There was celebration. And why did they do that? Why did they set it to music? Why? Because music is a delivery system for messages. That's what it is. It's a delivery system for a message. And think about it. It helped the people remember the words. And it helped those words not just get in their minds, but get in their hearts for them to feel it. 
You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 9.15 and 11 a.m. If you have missed any part of this message or past messages, you can find them all at besetfreeradio.com. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. See, music brings an emotional weight to it. We, we experience this with, with pop music as well, right? Like how many of you, you, you've heard a song and you're like, I love that song. I don't really agree with the words, but I love that song. I love the way it makes me feel. And you know what happens with pop music, right? Is that you'll, you'll have a song, it'll get stuck in your head. Even though you may be like, I hate the words of this song, but I can't get it out of my head. That's the power of music. You know what else music does? You'll be, in, you'll be walking in the store, you'll hear a song, from years ago, and boom, this flood of memories would just come rushing back. That's the power of music, right? It has this emotional grip on it. It helps us remember things. Sometimes in the Old Testament, the prophets would sing their prophecies. Why? So the people would, first of all, remember them, but also so that it would touch them, not just in their heads, but in their hearts emotionally. The book of Psalms is one of the longest books in the Bible. And what is it? It's a collection of songs that people would sing about God and to God in every season of life. And that's why here at Whitefields, we're really, we put a lot of care and we put a lot of concern and, and thoughtfulness into the songs that we sing. We want to we be singing songs that are, that are true, but we also want them to be saturated with the, the kinds of biblical truths about God which are fuel for worship. But listen, if, if worship is more than just singing, then what exactly is worship? Like, that, that's what we asked at the beginning. What exactly is worship? And that brings us to the second part of our sentence for today, which is this. Worship is what we do in response to seeing who God is. And the essence of worship is surrender. Worship means, number one, surrendering your pride. And number two, surrendering your plans. Surrendering your pride and surrendering your plans. Let's look at the first of those. Worship means surrendering your pride. Look at Isaiah's response to seeing this vision of God. He says in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What Isaiah is experiencing is what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a, is a sense of deep reverence and awe. This is a, a response that we see people have throughout the Bible when they encounter God's glory, when they really get a glimpse of who he is and how great he is. For example, that last song we sang before we got into the study today, that song called Face Down. You know what that is? It's, it's, it's talking about a passage in the book of Leviticus. And there in the book of Leviticus, we read that the priests in the temple, they experienced the glory of God shining around them. And it says that they did two things. It says, first, they shouted for joy because it was beautiful and it was wonderful. But after they shouted for joy, they fell down on their faces in fear and reverence. Think about that. Falling on your face, that's a position of humility. It's also a position of submission. In response to the glimpse of God's glory, Isaiah is filled with this sense of his own inadequacy in, in regard to God. Now think about this. In the first five chapters of the book, 
Remember what Isaiah kept saying to everybody? He was saying, woe to you. Woe to you. You have sinned. You are in trouble. But now look at what he's saying. Having seen this vision of God, his tone changes. No longer is he saying, woe is you. You know what he says? Woe is me. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah is now realizing, he's coming to grips with, he's acknowledging, he's confessing his own sins. Guys, it's easy to find other people's faults. It's easy to point out their sins. That doesn't take any skill at all. But you know what it takes? It takes a surrendering of your pride to admit and confess your own sins. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying is that the first step to receiving the salvation that he brings is you have to admit and recognize and come to grips with the fact that you are spiritually bankrupt, that you're spiritually poor. You have to come to the place where, like Isaiah, you look at yourself, and rather than looking at other people and saying, woe is you, you get to the place where you look at yourself and you say, woe is me. And when you get to that point, Jesus says, blessed are you, because now you are ready to receive the salvation that he brings, because now you recognize your need for it. But look at what God does for Isaiah in that moment. It says in verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah understood that he was in trouble because he was in the presence of a holy God and he was a sinful man. But God, look at this, in his grace and in his love, intervenes on behalf of Isaiah and atones, it says. He atones for his sins. To atone means to pay a debt. It means to remove a debt. What this shows us is that only God can cleanse us of our sins. Only God can remove your debt and, and remove your guilt. It's not something you can do for yourself. Isaiah knew what his problem was. His problem was God is holy and righteous and he is a sinful man. But to make matters worse, he also knew that he could do nothing to fix this problem. He couldn't go back in time and undo the things he had done. He couldn't unthink the thoughts that he had thought. He couldn't do anything to remove his guilt. But in love and in grace, God reaches out and cleanses Isaiah of his sins and removes his guilt so that Isaiah can stand before him. And friends, that is exactly what God has done for us in Christ. That is the message, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that God, in love and by grace, has reached out to you in the person of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from your sins, to remove your guilt by taking it upon himself on the cross. But in order to receive that gift, you have to surrender your pride. You have to humble yourself before God. But you know what else? Worship isn't only surrendering your pride. It's also surrendering your plans. He says in verse 8, check this out. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Now this is kind of funny, isn't it? Isaiah's like, I'll do it. And God's like, wait, I didn't even tell you what it is yet, right? Like, I didn't tell you where I'm going to send you. I didn't tell you what I need you to do. I didn't tell you what the job is yet. And Isaiah's like, I don't care. I'll do it. Yes, I'm going to just say yes in advance before you tell me what it is or, or where you're sending me. Whatever it is, I'll do it. I don't care what it is. You tell me what to do, and I will do it. Anything. Guys, 
That is surrender. That's surrender right there, where you say yes in advance before you even know what it's going to be. Look at this. One, one of my mentors was a man named Tom Stipe. And uh, Tom was my pastor uh, from the time I was a teenager. He uh, ordained me as a pastor. He sent me out as a missionary. Tom pastored for many years down in Denver. And just last week, uh, Tom passed away and went to be with the Lord. And something that Tom used to say that always stuck with me, he used to say this phrase. He used to say, I want my life to be a penny in God's pocket that he can spend wherever and however it pleases him best. Guys, that, that is surrender right there. You know what you're saying. God, whether you want to spend my life here or there, whether, whether you want to spend my life in a way that is successful in the eyes of the world or a way that's not successful in the eyes of the world, if you want my life to be spent in this way or that way, whatever it is, Lord, I'm just a penny in your pocket for you to spend in the way that pleases you best. That's what my life is. It's interesting because if you keep reading in verse 9 and then into verse 10, God tells Isaiah what the job is going to be. Now, Isaiah's already said he'll do it, and now God tells him what the job is going to be. And here's the job. He's calling him to do something that nobody would ever want to do. He's saying, I want you to go and preach, but the people you preach to, they're not going to listen to you. In fact, they're going to treat you really bad. And yet, I'm calling you to go and do it. So God is calling Isaiah to do something, to go on a mission, which from a numbers perspective, right, like a profit and loss perspective, is not going to be successful. It's going to be a huge failure. Uh, Isaiah is never going to be rich. He's never going to be famous. He's never going to have a large congregation. He's never going to be popular or powerful. He's not going to have many followers at all. In fact, the way his, he's going to die is some people are going to take him and they're going to cut him in half with a saw. Right? So in the world's eyes, he's not going to be successful, but he will be successful in God's eyes if he does what God tells him to do. But before God even tells him what he's calling him to do, Isaiah's already said yes. That is surrender. That's what it means to say, Lord, let my life be a penny in your pocket for you to spend wherever and however it pleases you best. And when you say, it's, it's, it's the essence of saying, whatever it is, Lord, Wherever you tell me to go, whatever you tell me to do, no matter how I feel about it, my answer will be yes, always. Because you're the Lord. You're my Lord. You're the one who's seated on a throne. You're the highly exalted one. And you step down from your throne to save me. You love me enough to take away my guilt and redeem my life. And so whatever you call me to do, I'll just tell you in advance, the answer is already yes. That's the essence of worship. Surrender. Surrendering your pride, surrendering your will, surrendering your plans to the Lord. You know, people have asked me, you know, what does it mean for us to love God? We say that we, we love God because he first loved us. But what does that even mean? What, what does it mean to love God? Is it just a feeling that you have? Is it goosebumps that you get when you sing certain songs? Do you just say, God, I really, really love you? Well, Jesus actually answered this question for us. He said this in, in John 14, verse 15. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. In other words, the essence of worship is surrender. And in this way, worshiping God is something that we do not just on Sunday for, for 25 minutes. It, worshiping God is something that we do all week long, every day. As we surrender our lives to God, we allow him to lead us and guide us, and we follow him where he leads, and we do what he says. And then when we gather on Sunday mornings, or we gather in community groups, and we speak his praises, and we give attention to his word, that corporate worship 
is just the overflow. It's the continuation of our all day, every day, surrender to God. And we come and we do it with other people who are also on this journey of surrendering their lives to God and becoming disciples of Jesus. It's in the way that we see God most clearly is in the person of Jesus. In Jesus, God revealed something about his love and his heart that couldn't have been expressed in just words alone. In Jesus, God came to us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to cleanse us and take away our guilt by taking it upon himself and dying in your place. Paul the Apostle put it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He said, God shows or proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what do we do? We fix our eyes upon Jesus. We study the scriptures God has given us. And as we see God more and more clearly, we respond to who he is. We respond to what he has done by surrendering every area of our lives. We worship him with our lips. We worship him with our hands. We worship him with our actions. Because not only is he worthy of it, but because he loves us. Amen. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 